Amen. All right, I want to begin this morning. I want you to picture something in your mind. I want you to picture a person. Picture a party person. A party, the, the like consummate partier, like the life of the party kind of person. Is that person a Christian? Probably not, right? Probably in most of our minds, we have this image of like this party person and then there's a Christian and these do not overlap at all in our thinking. And so we have some work to do on that this morning. We'll get to that in just a little bit. We're in Luke chapter 14. We've been going through the gospel of Luke and Jesus is still at the same dinner party, all right? Remember the context? He likely taught in a synagogue on the Sabbath and then he was invited back for a Sabbath meal at a Pharisee's house. Remember the Pharisees are like the super spiritual, self-righteous, religious elite guys. And so he goes to this dinner party at a Pharisee's house. And remember, while he's there, he heals a guy with dropsy. And the crap hits the fan. Oh, you can't do that. You can't heal on the Sabbath. Jesus is like, well, I did. And, And so he heals the guy and he sets them straight on that. And then if you remember from last week, what happened next is he kind of looked around and he saw how they were jockeying for seats of honor, jockeying for position. And so he told that story of the wedding reception. Remember that? And he addressed their pride. He was basically saying, you got to go low. You humble yourself, you'll get exalted. You exalt yourself, you get humbled. And we, so we talked about you have to embrace humility or otherwise you will experience humiliation. Go low. Now he's still at the same dinner party. And what happens next is he looks around the room at the kind of the makeup of the guest list. Who's there and who's not there. And in light of that, here's what happens. We're at Luke 14, verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now that's the beginning of our passage. Let me just warn you, if somebody from our church invites you over for dinner this week, it's not a compliment, okay? (laughs) They're like, yeah, Jesus told us to invite the lame. You're like the lamest person I know. You come over for dinner. That's that's not what's going on here. That's not the point, okay? This is about inviting the poor because the the blind and the lame, they couldn't work, so they would beg as well. So they're all poor people. And what Jesus is poking at, he really two things. The first is reciprocity. Everybody say reciprocity. And you see, that's a pastor thing where you make people say what you say. I don't do, if I have to say a hard word, you have to say a hard word. That's how I'm choosing, all right? So reciprocity. So what that means is basically uh, I do for you, so I expect you to do for me, right? So if I like your Instagram, I expect you to like mine. If I follow you on Twitter, I expect you to follow me back. That's how we operate, right? But what about these poor people? See, I want to help people who can help me back. Poor people are a dead end. That's a one-way transaction. I don't want to help them. I'm looking for reciprocity. I want to invite rich people over because they'll invite me to their crib. And we'll have a great meal there, reciprocity. And, okay, so that's one thing. A second thing that's going on is social ladder climbing. 
We're all guilty of this. You want to keep up with the Joneses, right? You want to arrive. You want to get one rung up the ladder and then the next. We, we want to get up that ladder. Made me think of the story of Cinderella. I'm about to ruin it for you. It, 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 was, a, it was a great childhood story. All of us loved it, right? You know, we're, we're not Cinderella. We're not the fairy godmother. You know who we are? We're the evil stepsisters. You think about it. Those are the people in the story who wanted to climb this. They were keeping up with the Joneses. They wanted to get ahead. They embraced the American dream. And I just want to get the dream. What do I have to do? I have to step over poor people or I have to step on poor people? Fine. I just got to arrive. That's who we are in the story. We're social ladder climbers. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Listen, he's saying what you do in that moment reveals what you really believe. Not what you say you believe, but your life displays what you truly believe. Look at the last line there. Do you believe there will be a resurrection of the just? Do you believe that? How you treat people is a reflection of that. Listen, if there's no God, there's no eternity, there's no reward, there's no heaven, there's no judgment, there's no resurrection of the just, all that's off the table, then guess what? I don't give a rip about the poor. The poor are a bother. They're in my way. I'm looking out for me and mine. I'm going to take care of number one. That is a logical outcropping from that belief structure. On the other hand, what if there is a resurrection of the just? God does exist. Eternity is real. There is reward. He will repay you, it says. There is reward to be had there. Now, if that's the fact, then can I not trust God that he's got my back while I take care of people who can't pay me back? You see that? My, my actions just flow out from my beliefs and reveal my beliefs. Jesus is saying in this right here, he's saying, listen, you understand you're only getting paid back once. So you've got to choose. Do you want to get paid back now on earth? It'll be temporary and it'll come from people. It's option number one. Or option number two, you get paid back then. That's an eternity from God. And it lasts a while. You only get paid back once. Now or then, you got to choose. That's what Jesus is saying. And all of us, listen, we expect to get paid back. Uh, well, the first time I was reading this, like, don't invite people who can pay you back, but invite people who you can't. That'll be blessed. What? How's that work? And he puts it at the end, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. It reveals what you truly believe. Listen, I want you to reverse engineer your life. You know what reverse engineering is? It's when you take a product that's already constructed and you work it out logically backwards that this is how I would create that. So like some of our national adversaries might do this where they can't develop military tech quite to the degree that America does. So they'll get their hands on a piece of our military technology and they'll figure out, oh, that's how we can make that, Okay. So you start with the end and you work backwards. That's reverse engineering. All of us are reverse engineering our life right now. You have an expected end and you are reverse engineering, figuring out what do I need to do to get there? The question is, what's the end? 
And for most of us, if we're honest, the end is a cushy retirement and my family is fine. That's the end. And so I'm going to reverse engineer my life to get to that end. Reveals what you believe. But what if we push that end a little bit further down the road, meaning eternity, to the resurrection of the just, where we stand before God himself and can be repaid or not. If that's the end I start with and I reverse engineer from there, that will imply something about how I treat people, including, of course, poor people. You see that? Reverse engineer your life. What Jesus is saying is, what you really believe will be reflected in how you treat people. So Jesus puts all this out there. And then there's a guy at the table at the dinner party who pipes up. Oh, God bless this guy. Look at verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Sigh. What kind of response is that? Let me be honest with you. It is a super spiritual bullcrap response meant to cover up his true spiritual heart and motives. There's two implications from this. The first is, blessed is everyone. Okay, everyone. What that means is, hey Jesus, doesn't God love everyone? Doesn't everyone include rich people? So can't I invite my rich friends? See, this is a back door to totally ignore what Jesus said and keep inviting my rich friends because blessed is everyone. Right, Jesus? And it's everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God, meaning someday in eternity, don't they eat? So, So what that means is, hey, won't the poor people eat then? I don't have to feed them now and invite them now, right? Doesn't everybody eat at the table in the kingdom of God, Jesus? Okay, the poor can eat then, right? So here's Jesus invited to this party, and he's got all this stuff to say about reciprocity and social ladder climbing and blessing others and trusting God, and the guy has this to say in response? Are you kidding me? It, it made me think of the movie Rush Hour. Do you remember Rush Hour? It's way back when Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan, and so they were two detectives from across an ocean, and they had to work together to solve some crime. And when they first met, do you remember what Tucker said to Chan? Watch this. Please tell me you speak English. I'm Detective Carter. Do you speak any English? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? (laughs) That's what I want Jesus to say in this moment. So he's laid this out. This guy has this ridiculous response. And I want Jesus to turn to him and go, Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Totally, I'm a twisted pastor, but that's totally what I want Jesus to do in that moment. Because we get these ridiculous responses at times. And as pastors, we get these, right? We get these like, we're supposed to reach out cross-culturally, cross-racially. But you know what? That's uncomfortable. Doesn't Jesus love people that look just like me? Doesn't he, pastor? So can I just invite people that look just like me? Duck and dodge, duck and dodge. Or we're supposed to mix generations and and cultures in worship, and sometimes that's uncomfortable. Doesn't God want me to be comfortable in worship? 
You don't have a verse for that, <laughs> right? But there it is. Or we're called to take the message of Christ around the globe like these two couples we just heard about this morning, right? Doesn't God love Americans? Every time we do a mission trip, we're sensitive. Why don't, doesn't God love Americans? Can't we just stay right here? Take care of our, our own. We get that. Or we're called to give generously to the mission of God. And we say, well, you know what? Doesn't God just want me to enjoy the rich bounty he's given to me as his child? God bless you. We're supposed to help the poor. Well, we will help the poor. We'll share the gospel with them, and then they can eat in heaven. There's a difference between the socially conservatives and the socially liberal. Or excuse me, I mean to say the religiously conservative and the religiously liberal. Both of them get it wrong. The religiously conservative are going to say, hey, we'll feed the soul, but not feed the body. And the religiously liberal, they'll feed the body, but not feed the soul. And Jesus says, do both. Do both. But they don't get it. And so they want, they want to just make up crazy super spiritual sounding things to duck and dodge. And I want Jesus to say, do you understand the words? But he doesn't do that. You know what Jesus does? He does what he always does. He tells a story. So let's, let's see the story tells in response. Look at chapter 14, verse 16. Jesus said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at, uh, and at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot have fun. This, okay, there's a little editorial license there, but uh, I cannot come. And then, uh, but look how it continues. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go, go out to the highways and hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. All right, so it's a parable. Jesus is often operating on two levels. There's the obvious surface level where he's talking about how to treat poor, disabled folks. But then underneath it, he's teaching about the kingdom. It's a metaphor for something deeper. It's that Jesus is the host. Jesus is throwing the party. And he has invited his people, the Jews, first and foremost. That's the one the invite went to. And they made up all kinds of excuses. We'll talk about those excuses in a second. All kinds of excuses. So, so what he did is he shifted from the rich and the powerful and the super religious within the Jewish culture, because that's who you'd start with. Those are the haves. And he shifts to the have-nots. 
to the marginalized. So it goes out to the streets and the lanes within the Jewish city and invite those people to come in. And I've told you already, Luke has this very consistent emphasis that when the kingdom of God showed up, it wasn't like we expected. It was actually for the marginalized and for the outcast. And so the ones invited in are the poor and the sick and the disabled. And then the marginalized of their society, the women and the children and the widows, the sinners and the prostitutes and the thieves and the traitors, they're all welcomed in. But you've got to understand, those are the ones that the Pharisees would say are unclean and untouchable and they're dirty and they're unwelcome. Jesus says, fill my party with those people. But... Notice they're still at home. It's the cities and the lanes where the poor people would be begging for food, but in their Jewish city. And that still didn't fill up Jesus' party. So what he did is he gave another go statement. Go to the highways and hedges. That's outside our city. That's uh, symbolically going to the rest of the world, to the Gentiles. And invite them in too. And we'll fill the party with them. Remember, Luke is the probably the only Gentile contributor to the New Testament. And he has a lot of references to the Gentiles, sometimes explicit and sometimes implicit. But what's going on here is that this is talking about the gospel going to the whole world. I don't know if you've caught it, but as we put slides up when we go through Luke, that background there, you can barely see it, is a world map. Quite intentionally, because at first the assumption was God is for the Jews only. And Jesus showed up and uh uh-uh. It's for every tribe, tongue, and nation. Every race on the face of the planet. Those are Jesus' people, and he goes for them. This changes everything. This changes everything. And so what you have from Jesus here is twice he says, go. Go. And you know, as a church, this is an important word for us. We talk about know, grow, go. Know Jesus Christ personally. Not know about him, know him personally. That means you enter a relationship with him. And so second is grow. You grow in that relationship. Not a religion, you grow in a relationship. And then third, and here it is, go. Go advance his kingdom. Which if we understand Jesus correctly, that means we've got to advance it by taking it to the marginalized, And we advance it by taking it around the globe. That's why world missions is very important to us. But do you see the paradox of this feast? Those who are first in line don't get a bite. They don't show up to the banquet at all. Who shows up? It's not those last in line. They weren't even in line. Okay? They weren't even invited. But it's the marginalized bring them in. It's the Gentiles bring them in. And they're... We are with Jesus enjoying a great feast. We didn't deserve it. There's no reciprocity. You understand that? We don't pay Jesus back. There's nothing that earns us a seat at the table except his blood. He paid for it. And so it's a picture of the gospel that he invites us to his great banquet party. We don't deserve to be there, and yet we're welcomed in. I am one of the marginalized. I am one of the poor. I am one of the Gentiles. Somehow I snuck in. That's the gospel. Now, there are two things that I want to pull out from this to emphasize today. And the first is about excuses. 
excuses. Because in Jesus' story, did you catch that there are a whole lot of people making a whole lot of excuses? And they're ridiculous. Like the first guy is like, hey, I'd love to come to your wedding banquet there, but um, here's the thing. I just bought a property and I need to go look at it. Okay, who buys a property without looking at it first? Guy's full of it, right? But there it is. Yeah, that's the ticket. Got to look at the property, you know? So, so he's, that's his excuse. Now the next guy is like, hey, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I need to go examine them. Nobody buys oxen without first examining them. He's already seen them. He's making up a story. And then there's the third guy, right? I just got married. <laughs> Do you notice that the first two guys asked to be excused? The third guy's like, I got married. We both know I can't come. <laughs> like, there's no asking here, right? And the point is, I joked about it earlier, but the point is they're all ridiculous excuses. Great, you just got married? Grab your wife, bring her as well. That's awesome. No, they're ridiculous excuses. And the point is that the Jews who rejected their own Messiah and gave all kinds of excuses, they're ridiculous excuses. The Jews have no excuse for rejecting Jesus as their Messiah. Now, with few exceptions in this room, we're mostly Gentiles. But we're not off the hook. What about you? Are you making excuses to get out of kingdom life? To duck discipleship? Do you know how silly that is? Think about it. Okay. Um, Quiet times. We should all be having quiet times or devotionals, meaning you get alone with God and communicate in relationship with him. Build your relationship by prayer and reading the word on your own each day. Oh, we got excuses. Too busy, I don't know how, whatever. Boom, stack them up. Uh, or, Or then there's things like giving. We're supposed to give. Oh, we got excuses why I can't give this week, this month, this year, this decade, this life. We got excuses. Oh, what about serving? We're supposed to serve. Man, I got excuses. You don't know how busy I am. We got excuses about fellowship. We know that it's not a solo sport. It's a team sport. We need to be in some small group life to grow in Christ. I got excuses for that. What about evangelism? We're supposed to reach out with the message of Christ to those who don't know him. How do we have excuses for that one? Biblical morality, like God has called us as his people to reflect him in a certain way. And our culture says, nah, that's not right. So we got excuses for that. We got all kinds of excuses. Why are we making excuses to get out of the kingdom life? We ought to fight to get in, not fight to get out. Think of it this way. Baker Mayfield. You guys know who he is? No, no one? Okay. Okay. So Mayfield, uh, let's say he, he wants to hook somebody up, random person. So he picks somebody off Twitter. He t- chooses you, turns out. And he, he connects with you on Twitter and says, listen, I've got great seats right on the 50-yard line, and afterwards you get to hang out and party with me and my crew. Well, that's going to be a good day. You look at your calendar, you got something on the calendar that day. What do you do? You reschedule, right? You find excuses for your excuses. Right? You find a way to make it happen. Uh, somebody once said, if it is important to you, you will find a way. If not, you will find an excuse. It's true, isn't it? With Mayfield, you're going to find a way to make it happen. What about the kingdom of God? What about the issues of discipleship? Are you going to 
make a way or are you going to make an excuse? Listen, Jesus is calling you and me to a really big kingdom life, an awesome, awesome life. And you understand the road to a small life is paved with excuses. Don't accept those excuses. Don't do that. All right, that's the first thing I wanted to tease out. Excuses. The second thing that I want to talk about is party time. Because it's party time. Do you notice, as we go through the scriptures, do you notice how often Jesus finds himself in a setting that is a banquet or dinner party or a feast or a celebration or a festival? Do you notice when Jesus starts telling stories, how many of his stories have to do with dinner parties and festivals and feasts and celebrations? Do you notice a theme here? This is a theme throughout all the scriptures. Listen, heaven is pictured like a feast. And we're just getting a foretaste of that at times. And I think we have been impoverished as a people of God living in our society today that we do not have a good theology of the dinner celebration. Not anymore. And I want to rebuild that today by kind of going rapid fire with you for, with some scriptures to rebuild that huge context throughout the scriptures. Look with me in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 25. Verses 6 through 8. Love this passage. Listen to this. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow. It means it's a good steak. Of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. That sounds beautiful. I look forward to that day. Death is swallowed up. Sin is swallowed up. All tears are wiped away. And what do we do? We feast. Good food, good wine. We feast together. It's Old Testament. Look what Jesus does in the New Testament. We've already looked at one passage, but look at Matthew chapter 8, verse 11. Jesus was speaking and he said, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table. Now, at table is a dinner party. That's code in their language, okay? So they will recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. You know what you have to look forward to in heaven? An awesome dinner party. See, at the bottom there, there's Jesus speaking to his apostles. And here's what he said. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that, Here it is, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Sniffing a theme here? And then God wants wants us to know some of what it will be like in the end times. So he gives a revelation to John. And as part of that revelation about the eternal state, here's what we read in Revelation chapter 19, verse 9. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
That's Jesus. Picture heaven like a big wedding reception where Christ is wed to his bride, the church, and we come and we celebrate. It's a feast, not a funeral. Have you ever been to a funeral wake? It's not, it's not like that. It's like a wedding reception. It's celebration. It's party. We are not funeral people. We are feast people as the children of God. In fact, you'll notice as you look throughout the Old Testament, think about this. When God wanted his people, Israel, to remember something he had done in their life, he set up a feast. It's all over the place. Had all these annual celebrations and feasts that they would do to remember what God, he is a feast God. And as we come into the New Testament, there's an echo of that that we already celebrated this morning right here. The bread and the wine, this is a very simple meal, albeit a very small meal. I understand that. But this is, a sim- is symbolic of the feast that Jesus has provided for us and the feast that is coming for us. Okay? Look, look with me, if you will, at Matthew chapter 26, verse 27. And following. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And look what he says next. I love this. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Do you understand? Jesus looks forward to feasting with us. What he's saying in that moment is that he looks forward to it so much and it's coming, but he won't touch this cup again. I'm not going to have another glass of wine until you guys come home and we get to sit down together and I'll raise a glass with you. And I know we are blessed in this congregation with a lot of addicts in recovery. You know that's a disease that the, the new earth, the, the, our eternal state, that'll wipe out all disease so your alcoholism will be gone. And we all together will sit down and have a good steak and a good glass of wine with Jesus. That's the picture. That's who we are. Some of you have this image of heaven that we're floating on clouds playing harps. What? Where did you get that? That's not what it's like. It's a party. It's a feast. It's over and over. You know what's so cool? Jesus is right there in the middle of it. You know who the consummate party animal is? It's Jesus. He's the life of the party. It's all focused right around him. He's at the party, and we get to eat and drink with Jesus in his presence, and there's no more sin. You know what that means? Bacon is going to taste even better. I kid you not. Okay, I know we have vegetarians, right? So tofu is going to... I don't know what you people eat, right? (laughs) Fruit, whatever. I want you to imagine for a moment. Imagine your most favorite food. Now, I want you to add to that a memory. Remember the time when it has been its absolute best. What you're remembering right now is stained by sin. It's tainted by the fall. You understand when we're in heaven, it's going to blow that away. And that's just the food. And the drink, but what, what's really in view here is the fellowship, the friendship, the laughter, the celebrating and worship and reminiscing together. I, I got a sniff of that when I was down in Oaxaca. The folks that we get the privilege of sending out, we're talking about 
Oaxaca. So when uh, what became today Redemption Chapel, when we sent out our first mission trip, 10 folks went down to southern Mexico, the mountains of Oaxaca. I was part of that trip, loved it. We went up in the mountains. We were passing out audio Bibles with, uh, that were translated into their own language. Now, you think Spanish. No, no, no. These were people whose language came before the conquistadors came in. They fled to the mountains when they did. And so they have all these dialects broken up by the mountains. So they got to hear the scriptures in their own language. One day we traveled to a, a remote town, a village, Small little church. They wanted to reach out to the people in the village and invite them into the church to watch the Jesus film in their own language. Some of them have never seen film. They get, it's in their language all about Jesus. One of the best parts of the day, though, was when our brothers and sisters there wanted to have a feast with us. And so we, we went, uh, I remember going up these steps and there was this house overlooking, tiny little house, but overlooking this beautiful valley. View is stunning. And it was open wall because they had an f- open fire right there that they cooked over. And, and the, the mommies were, were making corn tortillas by hand and then cooking them over the fire. Oh, they're amazing. We had members of our team jumping in, cutting up vegetables. The vegetables were so amazing. They were fresh because they, they'd grown them themselves. It was fresh. We had chicken. The chicken was fresh. So we saw it running around that day. <laughs> it was all fresh. Uh, and it tasted amazing. But it wasn't just the food. Then our team, we ate together, and we laughed, and we cried, and we reminisced. And, and then we were with our brothers and sisters in Christ down there. Many language barriers, but we loved them, and they loved us because there was one thing in common. Jesus was at the banquet. He was right there, and it was amazing. That's a taste of heaven right there. That's a taste of heaven. And that's why we do a couple things in our church. Number one, we have our wing fest. It's chicken. It's coming up in a couple weeks. Now, some of you think that's extreme. It's a colossal waste of time and money. Unless there's something valuable going on. What we are doing at our wing fest is we are practicing for heaven. Because we are supposed to be the banquet people. We're the party people. We're the celebrant. We come together and we all get in this park. And as we get bigger and bigger as a church, it's harder to do, but it's more necessary to do. And we laugh together. And we enjoy each other's company and we feast together. It's coming up in a couple weeks. Another thing we do is our community groups. Now, uh, we value small group life, men's studies, women's studies. But community groups are great because they happen in homes. You meet there twice a month. And usually, community group, before you sit down and discuss stuff, you're probably in the kitchen, right? Around a plate of something, and you're all eating. And eventually, the community group leader will say something like, hey, we should probably start community group now. Eh, wrong answer. You started community group already. You see what we just did? We separated Christianity from feasting. Stop that. Let's go do real Christianity. Uh-uh. It's a whole thing. It all counts. It all counts. Does discipleship include Bible study and prayer and deep discussion? Yeah. Does it involve evangelism and serving and giving? Yeah. But if your view of Christianity precludes a good party, you've missed a big part of the Scripture. You've missed a big part. What I want you to do, listen... We, we only have a little bit of summer left. And I want you to do something. I want you to 
invite someone or a couple someones from our congregation over for a barbecue or bonfire, a dinner party, invite them over. Listen, don't let your spirituality be separate from your party, but don't let your party be separate from your spirituality. These overlap. Another thing I want you to do, I want you to invite somebody not from our church or a couple of somebody. Have them over for a bonfire, a cookout. Don't let your party be separate from your spirituality, nor your spirituality separate from your party. These overlap. I do that. Now, to land this thing, I, I want to just poke back at excuses just for a second because I want you to understand the question is not whether or not the eternal feast will take place. It will. The question is whether or not you'll be there. And I don't want you making excuses. Look, none of us deserve to be there. None of us can pay Jesus back. We all get in by grace. But don't make excuses to get out of the best party ever. We are the ones as Christians who have the most to celebrate. Don't make excuses to get out of that party. Jesus is inviting you to his feast. And I want you to hear this very clearly, lovingly, but directly. If you miss out on the marriage supper of the Lamb, you will only have yourself and your excuses to blame. Don't do that. Don't do that. All right, let's pray. Father, we admit before you that as your children, we, we, we don't deserve to be your children. We don't deserve to be at the table. We can't pay you back, and yet you just by grace, we are the marginalized, the poor in spirit who don't deserve a daggone thing, and yet you, you welcomed us in. Thank you. And would you lead us now, Lord, to not make excuses to try to get out of kingdom life, kingdom stuff, and then would you build within us a theology of parties that we would be the celebration people, the party people. And Lord, we look forward to that time. I know you're, you're waiting till we get home to raise a glass with us. We look forward to that, Lord. Thanks, Father. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.